to Big Red Couch, the podcast about making role-playing games. A group of GMs and players draw ideas from the mystery box and bring their game pictures to you. Welcome, listener, to episode 103 of the Big Red Couch. Tonight, slash this morning, because we're still doing this despite being separated by a giant ball of iron and magma, which goes to show you just how dedicated we are. In England, I have, we have Craig, and in New Zealand, it's Ben. How's everyone going? Well, I'm not in a country that's trying to melt itself while simultaneously flooding, so pretty good. You missed the burning parts as well. Apparently most of Dunedin caught fire. Oh, for God's sake. <laughs> I know. Just Isn't pick- it mostly stone? It can't have gotten that hot, surely. <laughs> yeah, I, guys, just pick one. Oh, no, it, seem, mm. it seems to settle down. We've just had, you know, that completely unattributable um, climatic dis- disruption thing going on. Ah, uh, what could possibly be causing it? Who knows? Indeed. We may never know. <laughs> It'll be a mystery for all time. Well, I have had a horrible cough, cold thing, which is still making its presence slightly known in my voice. I was trying to come up with a really good, I've had this complete bastard cold, and incidentally, the weather has also been bastard cold. You should have gone with that one, yeah. Can you edit that in? That would, that would be awesome. There are some things we can't do, I'm afraid. Yeah. Also, I believe I'm on editing for this one. <laughs> that is also your responsibility. I did leave in you basically choking to death at the end of the last episode, which, you know, special treat for the uh, the fans. Yep, that's important. It's what they'd want. Mm. Since we have a cerebral, high-minded, and dare I say civilised topic this week, which we are both going to do a horrible injustice and probably be um, stricken from some sort of list of nice people somewhere. I'd always assumed that had already happened for me. Oh, it's fair. Unless they've, like, established some sort of central repository, there have got to be other lists, right? They can't all just be in one place. Okay. Anywho, the topic for this week is, are you Henry David Thoreau? And that comes, comes to us from Burning. And, well, that needs a little bit of explanation. This really ventures outside of our normal crass pop culture milieu so do we have something on that we do we do when burning first suggested this there were some attached screenshots of stuff from a web forum of some sort i'm thinking and what this started with was somebody's comment of a few minutes ago an earnest looking stranger came up to me on the sidewalk and asked are you henry david thoreau I shook my head and kept walking, and I'm pretty sure this was the right choice. But to satisfy my idle curiosity, can anybody tell me what he was selling? Right. That is an excellent question. Somebody has commented on it to say, maybe he was Diogenes, cursed to wander until he found an honest man. Though somehow it mostly reminds me of the liner notes for Sting's Sister Moon from his Nothing Like the Sun album. I was accosted late one night on Highgate Hill by a staggering drunk who grabbed me by the lapels and, after tranquilizing me with his foul breath, pointed to the moon, which was swollen to its fullness, and demanded of me threateningly, How beautiful is the moon? How beautiful is the moon? he repeated. Thinking quickly and not wishing for an early toxic death, I fixed it with my eye and declaimed, My mistress's eyes are nothing like the sun. Shakespeare's always useful, I found, for calming down violent drunks, if only because it gives them the impression that you're crazier than they are. A good answer, he said. A good answer. As he set off on attack for Kentish Town, like a listing galleon. Nice. That's a very evocative little... That sound. That does sound like a sting liner note as well. That's, that's, that's incredibly it, it authentic. It really does. Yeah. So that was the context. Yeah. That's not much context as far as role-playing games go, but I like it. I mean, it's your standard random encounter as far as I can tell. Somebody rolled confusing drunk on the random encounter table and went with it. 
Save against existential crisis. Yeah, okay, I suppose that uh, comes up more frequently in different sorts of games. Now, we have some audience suggestions for this one. We also have some audience ideas for The Day the Squid Said Hello, which didn't actually make it into the episode because we're a bit crap. We're 103 episodes in. You had to know that. I, I feel that, that that's somehow victim-blaming. <laughs> I can't stand with it. <laughs> we're a bit crap. That's not actually your fault. Nobody is surprised or especially sorry. Should we help out a little bit by elucidating who henry david thoreau who in the initial take of this got his name in completely the wrong order just to help the audience along absolutely you should do that ben <sighs> see what i did there i see what i did there yes you sucked <laughs> I, I don't claim to know anything even after like scrabbling through wikipedia he was a gent of letters sometime in the 19th century near the end wrote many books it managed to under to establish fundamental ideas about civil disobedience and behavior to some degree there's lots of lots of very very general notions of a philosophical bent part of the transcendentalist movement or the american transcendentalist movement at least went on to inspire people like to, to a degree people like gandhi and martin luther king and is fairly famous for looking like a bit of a hipster it was a risk you took at that at that time of uh, time of history with beards and so forth and then just also checking out for two years and living by a lake and that writing a book about it. Mm. which it was kind of a um aesthetic retreat from the hurly-burly pre-1900s life but I don't think it was a bad move. I think it was that was well considered on his part. It seemed to it seemed to go. On. He did die of tuberculosis, so not immediately, but you know, it was, it was it was also a problem at the time, looking like a hipster and dying of tuberculosis. It was very fashionable. <laughs> I suggest that that if folks are interested in that sort of malarkey, they're probably better off reading the books than listening to our podcast. That is fair. And I was thinking that probably any American listener to this uh, podcast is screaming at us for how badly we're screwing up that bit, because I suspect Thoreau is much better known in the US than, say, hypothetically, in New Zealand. Yes, a bit of a travel writer, I think. May, he may have kicked that off, or at least been, you know, formative and that sort of thing. Honestly, I've read more Melville, but then again, if you've read any Melville, you've read more Melville than most things. He was at the same school. That and Ralph, Ralph Waldo Emerson. A lot of the stuff is just, like, lying around on the... Um, Things like the Gutenberg Press and so forth. So it will only take you time and, and an attention span. So that's cool. You're assailed by a drunk person demanding that you're <laughs> to know if you are Henry David Thoreau. What do you do? Well, I, I came up with a suggestion, though it is it is more based off Thoreau himself and the question than off the assailed by a drunk bit. Fair enough. H how about you? What did you come up with? I basically mashed up with a 1980s action movie. This ought to be good. Well, for some reason, I couldn't get the, the are you such and such with are you Sarah Connor? And I was trying to think of a situation where a vaunted novelist and civil disobedient sort of advocate and somebody in the 1800s was being hunted by Skynet. Not an entity really susceptible to the goals and techniques of civil disobedience. I mean, I can come up with the comedy version of it. Yeah, yeah. You, you can argue that a uh, overarching computer network system wouldn't like the idea of people living off the grid, might have run into the book Walden and decided that it's all this guy's fault. Interestingly enough, the least tenuous connection that I have to Henry David Thoreau is through video games. 
Okay. <laughs> it surprised me too. Walden Pond was put to a degree of faithfulness in Fallout 4 because it's situated in the in Boston and environs. There's like an audio tour of the place, which is now infested with ghouls and mutated animals and so forth. But they also did a Walden Project. It was basically a video game which you can purchase and wander around Walden Pond and get possibly the same experience with less sort of ticks. Yes, as in radio. No, I'm wondering if I'd missed the um, the DLC that gave you ticks. It's a level of um, authenticity that I could do without in my video games. So that was something that will help further illuminate our terrible lack of understanding of the topic. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, our terrible lack of understanding of the topic has worked for a number of years and over a hundred episodes at this point. Yes. Let us barrel forward into a glorious future of not knowing what's going on. I, I think there is a line from uh, Trevor Noah when he sort of took over the Daily Show. Something along the lines of, I have no idea what you people saw in me, but I'm going to try very hard to capture it every day. Nice. Hmm. All right. So that was my epic non-idea. Unless you want to explore the possibility that a sentient computer network from the future had decided that a 19th century American transcendentalist novelist and thinker was somehow a threat to it. The living off the grid thing is one thing, but the people had already got that as a general concept. I mean, writing wistfully about it maybe was less important. I, I think it's more, yeah, it's not so much the living off the grid. It's the idea of having lived for the time period on the grid and then not doing that anymore. That if you've got a computer system that really, really wants everybody to be happy, friend, citizen. Oh, nice. And then discovers there are all these people who, who don't want to be happy in my loving and crushing uh, electronic embrace. And they're going off and doing this living in nature and living off the grid thing. And they're turning down their omnipresent internet connection and everything. Why? What, what is the root cause of this? And so it goes looking and the earliest thing it can find is Walden. So logically, this is all the fault of that maniac, Henry David Thoreau. Right. It's very, I love you, cold, unfeeling robot arm. You could kind of made it, make it into a wacky paranoia game if, you know... I was thinking dreadful paranoia episode where troubleshooters are sent back in time to once and for all take care of the... One of the secret societies was the Sierra Club, which was mm. all about nature. So this is the computer's insane scheme to wipe out the very existence of that secret society before it even starts. Well, it, it's not impossible. In fact, I was almost bloody likely that the only thing that the sierra club has is like a, a print copy of on walden pond so they regard its author as a messiah figure and you know clearly if that was taken off them they'd all return to the the, the corrupting influence was removed they'll all return to the cold crushing embrace of friend computer yeah mm. the computer's going to fire up some experimental time machine and launch troubleshooters of a, of at least one is going to be a zero club member so they probably they may not die immediately bare minimum there has to be a sierra club member on there yep also yeah they're the person who'll stop the entire party from dying instantly in the open bodies of water or snow they encounter would probably be more the comedic fellow who's decided he's going to ruggedly work the land for a couple of years being a terrifying obstacle to a bunch of people who have lived underground and eaten protein bars for their entire existence. Yeah, have a protein squirrel. Yes, yes. He'd be an entirely different level of preparedness for the environment. It could be 
hilariously like the first Predator movie. Except it's a guy with a wood axe realized that who's suddenly realized that he was being hunted by a bunch of people in squeaky vinyl jumpsuits carrying odd firearms. Do however make absolutely ripping fire starters, so he's probably gonna want one of those. Yes. Of course the, the upshot will probably be that they manage to corrupt the timeline enough to confuse things and on Walden Pond, it actually turns out to see some sort of seminal science fiction work that no one was expecting to come out of this author with all sorts of wacky ideas about time travel and laces. Nice. I like it. Wow. Okay, that, that idea was salvaged all the way up to bloody awful. I'm impressed. I mean, that is right up there in the convention four-hour comedy game ending at midnight slot. Yep. That is kind of the punchy end of day three of the convention way too much caffeine game and still better than a lot of the terminator movies that came out later on i think i'm at least a terminator movie behind at this point i i think i'm like three board segway board segway you started talking about time travel movies oh fair enough yeah that's when you said sort of 80s movie i was just imagining walden except it's basically a cheesy ripoff of a rambo but i wasn't quite sure how to make that work with thoreau it's until it's circled around into having um, troubleshooters wandering around the um, bosky groves, possibly being set upon by a man with a hatchet. Or just being gleefully ignored. I don't get the idea that he was much of the I'm going to kill them with a hatchet sort. I'm sure I'm sure he could have been provoked, especially by people you know, setting fire to things randomly and being terrified of trees. But yeah, true, maybe, maybe the troubleshooter's own incompetence that will do them in. <laughs> I've always understood that's a feature of paranoia rather than a bug. Very much so. And I've never actually played Paranoia. So that is my attempted recovery, though I'm not certain that, I know, let's make a Paranoia game out of it, really counts as a, a successful attempt at recovery of that idea. Any landing you can walk away from, I think we'll, we'll classify under that. Classic three-point landing, two knees and a nose. <laughs> okay, what was your subtle and infinitely more nuanced take on the subject? Okay, this has a little bit of setup. Because apparently I love the sound of my own voice. Okay, I, I do have kind of a croaky voice thing that I'm quite enjoying. I, I can pretend that I sound like Tom Waits. I don't, but leave me my dreams. Okay, proceed. Part of the whole shtick behind Walden, or on Walden Pond, was I went out amongst the woods because I wanted to live deliberately. So just keep that in mind. Mm -hmm. And then think science fiction. And think you're a citizen of some ultra-high-tech, ridiculous tech-level society. It is difficult to live simply and deliberately when you're living in a city that covers the entire surface of a planet, has expanded upwards until that planet is the size of Jupiter, and has dug downwards so much that there really isn't a core to the planet anymore, and they've had to install gravity generators just to make sure that the floors still work. To live a more simple and deliberate life, you need to go out into the wilderness, to those wild, uncontacted worlds out there, live as the folks on those wild, uncontacted worlds do, blending in. And for wild, uncontacted worlds, what I'm thinking is present-day Earth. Hmm. So, a bit Predator, except more touristy. Yeah, Predator, but with more patchouli, because the idea goes on. Hmm. Of course... You know, a few people will do this. More people will follow. The adventurous traveler gives way to the hippie trail, which eventually becomes the banana pancake trail. And you've eventually got a bunch of folks crashing around, trying to find places where somebody else isn't also living 
deliberately. And they're trying to do this incognito. And then somebody notices that there are these folks with advanced everything. And, you know, I'm wondering whether at this stage it's kind of a case of it's not they're carrying around a bunch of high-tech equipment. Possibly the high-tech equipment is literally a part of them. Mm. Whether it's implanted or whether it's just, oh, no, that's just pervasive nanotech. Yeah. So there are these people with advanced everything around. Suddenly the situation has changed and living deliberately has turned into running and hiding from the whatever they are who are hunting you. Getting in contact with the wild becomes trying to find out what happened to your friends in Toledo because it's still a year until your scheduled pickup trying to survive that long when you have no idea who to trust. Hmm. The reason I got to this from Henry David Thoreau was that he was an abolitionist. This kind of put me in mind of, okay, so you've got these ranging from adventurous to thrill-seeking to idiotic travelers who are attempting to blend in on Earth. Something or someone is looking for them. Maybe it's a government agency who's realized that there are these walking chunks of hyper-advanced nanotech. Maybe it's yet another group of off-worlders who have noticed that, hey, there are these guys. We can totally nick all their shit. It almost doesn't matter, but I like the idea that there is an underground railroad of sorts for these ranging from deluded to hunted hippies or backpackers, because this is pretty obviously a transparent metaphor for backpackers. Thought I'd lay that one out there. And the idea of, are you Henry David Thoreau being kind of a code phrase? Because if you've read or know, know anything about Henry David Thoreau, the linkages are there. If you haven't, what a weird name. And no, no, I'm not that person. Mm, no, it makes a decent code phrase. It also works in a, another meaning. Like, Who do you think you are, Henry David Thoreau? I was wondering about that one, but I couldn't quite make it work. Right. So the ideological refugees of some omni-civilization going to some tiny throwback little blue planet and having a genuine experience with, you know, actual air are making things difficult for themselves, probably making things difficult for the locals to a degree and discover themselves in a really awkward situation. I don't know if they're even ideological refugees. I mean, some of them probably are the, no, I'm giving up on society. Some of them are probably just the, no, I'm going to go backpacking with my mates for a couple of years. But they're all in the same boat. Mm. The inherent danger may have been misrepresented to them. It may be the takeaway there. The advanced civilization could be, you know, spatially or temporally displaced, if you want to keep with the time travel metaphor that we somehow established. Mm. Either would work. But, you know, the more basically biologically similar they are to the, the local inhabitants, the less hand-waving you'd have to do. But, you know, it's just a thematic thing. I was assuming you, you might sort of take a leaf from Eclipse Phase hmm. and the whole body morph thing, that it's basically, yeah, we've decided to go here. Okay, let's just get a morph constructed. That will blend in fine there. Hmm. And we'll chuck in some upgrades along the lines of doesn't have to worry about illness, quick healing, that kind of thing. On the easiest side of things, you've basically got people who are attempting to hang out for about a year until they're, they're sort of the pickup ship arrives. Kind of the equivalent of the backpackers who've blown all their money for a six-month trip in the first three months and are essentially trying to find jobs in bakeries so they can get stale pastries to survive for that next three months because that's when they're pre-booked flight home is 
Hmm. This isn't from life experience at all, I'm sure. Not my own personal life experience? No, because the internet exists, bank accounts exist. Yes. I know you're you're a paranoid enough person to um, look out for that sort of thing. But it is something that you do run into, and I do know of a few people who sort of found themselves, yeah, they hadn't quite budgeted right, and it's sort of, okay, so my flight leaves in a week, and I have $23. Balls. Pretty much, yeah. Apropos of nothing, I just watched the first episode of Altered Carbon, which is all about sleeving in new bodies and people being effectively immortal or having huge time displacement issues when they're suddenly resurrected after a quarter of a millennia. It's creepy and weird and has a kind of an Edgar Allan Poe uh, cameo, which is cool. Yes, I have heard about it, but haven't seen it yet. No, I, I find that idea, well, very alien was, you know, travel and, and my feelings about that. But yeah, no, that sounds really kind of intriguing. There could be a lot of reasons for the um, displaced people to be in the situation they are. And they could not quite sync up with the general group agenda, except they all want to live. And that would be fun. Living would be awesome. It would depend on how your group wanted to approach it. You could go with something like the Psy Run approach of just you're being hunted and it sucks. It's suckiness is what the game is about. Yeah. If you wanted to really drill into that whole you are on the run, because realistically, I'm assuming that at least some of the folks who would end up in this situation would probably end up connecting with the alternative lifestyle off the grid sorts of community. So I can totally see some level of Underground Railroad going. So is it Steal Away Jordan? Yes, but that's a very specific analysis of that situation. I don't think it would be entirely applicable. Yeah, you'd need to do a lot of work. You could look to that for some sort of inspiration, but you don't... That's what I'm thinking. Or possibly for things not to do, if you want to be at all sensitive to that sort of thing. Actually, yeah, that's a really good point. How do we do this and not be colossal dicks about it? That would be an excellent source material yes indeed that would be that would be awesome i'm trying to think of a word because they're not refugees uh, are the the displaced folks i've had a hard time not thinking of them as backpackers but that just the feckless backpackers who are out of touch with the bank of mummy and daddy they would they would probably be relatively well served by staying off the local equivalent of the grid because if the powers that that are chasing them either temporally or technologically advanced, that would be the easiest way to track them down. So yeah, that would be a that would be definitely a Terminator vibe to that as well. Depending on how you did it, there runs the risk of it becoming a game where you've got these folks on the run with ungodly super abilities. Yeah, but a lot of role-playing games have situations where the characters have ungodly super abilities. Maybe you just give them a charge level which isn't very big. It's something that they can use in dire circumstances because presumably that is one of the things that has been running out on them and making life more difficult. You can put all of your oomph into uh, blowing that door off, but then you're going to be running at human normal or human with a bad cold normal for about a week while they recharge. Yep. And yeah, so that would be an interesting thing. It has to have been an equivalent like sort of an escaped robot kind of has special powers but is uh lost in the world kind of thing well short circuit springs unerringly to mind um yeah. you could go with the movie starman which was alien rather than robot but special powers but lost in the world yep and and you know same same basic deal 
Yeah, it would depend on how much of the loss in the world you wanted to pick up on. You know, are these have these people been in trouble more or less since day one, or have they been having a whale of a time, and then shit starts getting weird? Because at that point, you've got the potential for some fun of, you know, there are the people they've met along the way. So yes, that was that was my uh, intellectual and deep idea about backpackers. <laughs> Well, apart from dunking on backpacking as a, or other backpackers as a, as a general thing, that's pretty cool. That's interesting. The one thing that has made me think of slightly as a role playing game is it's sort of a sort of more consequenceful version of teenagers from outer space, overprivileged twenty somethings with limited responsibilities from outer space. <laughs> oh, and bandanas. <laughs> Yeah, if you're wanting to go with the the comedy approach to it, and the low the lowered consequence approach to it, then yeah, something like teenagers from outer space or feckless twenty somethings from outer space, um, where you have them as well-meaning but a bit clueless, and the people chasing them are determined and relentless, but actually a bit shit. Yeah, it depends. Or, or you could actually lift the maturity level of basically taking the world of teenagers from out of space, but making the, char- the the player characters hunted mercilessly across the earth. That's got a weird kind of appeal to it. High school was not fun for you. <laughs> that's that's an option because it's it's a very silly, fluffy game, and but the idea of tackling this weirdly cosmopolitan earth is the coolest place in the universe let's send all our kids there spinning that around slightly sounds quite intriguing hmm yeah yeah no, i like it sorry i was trying to come up with a um a white wolf style title oh do we do we have to it's kind of it's traditional like gap year the twattening or something <laughs> yeah i don't know no, I mean, most of the ones I've got really relate to kind of horrifying, and yeah, these are all based on horrifying stereotypes, but sort of horrifying stereotypes of Southeast Asian backpacking tourism. Yep, no, I was getting that. Yeah, travel the banana pancaking. <laughs> because that is just apparently a thing. You can pretty much spot the the tourist spots in along this, this sort of, approximate travel route in Southeast Asia by places that sell banana pancakes. The locals have discovered that these two words mean they get reg- they get regular custom and it doesn't frighten off the people with the foreign currency. Pretty much, yeah. It means they don't have to explain the menu. Yep. And that is something they dearly, dearly enjoy not doing. <laughs> yeah, 57 times an hour. Yeah. Yep. I can totally see that. Cool. You know, it's, it's as far as part of a, I can certainly see the fluff for a story like that actually being something you could mine personal experience and your obsessive re- reading of travel blogs and so forth, but making it, making the experience as part of being also part of a extra level of cultural alienation. Quite intriguing. It's effectively Ford Prefect's life rather than Arthur Dent's. Yeah, I mean, you've got... There's the comedy thing. I would probably go with a little bit less comedy on it. Yep. Personally, you know, try to go with the slightly dark and creepy of 
okay, yeah, let's go to this place. I know some people there. Well, I knew some people there, but they're not here anymore. Mm. These are silhouettes burned into the walls are relatively fresh, so... Indeed, yes. That could be bad. Hmm. We should go. Yeah. No, I like it. What do we have now? Piles of audience feedback, hopefully with ideas much more cerebral and enlightened than ours. We've got a couple of them here for, for this one. Shall I... We've got one from Ketamono and one from Burning. Um, which one would, Which one do you want? I've got Kedamono's in front of me right now, so I could read that. Okay, you should do that thing. From Kedamono, courtesy of the Fear the Boot forums. So, you are Henry David Thoreau. Hmm. According to the font of all knowledge, Wikipedia, he was an American essayist, poet, philosopher, abolitionist, naturalist, tax resistor, development critic, surveyor, environmentalist, and historian. A renaissance man, eh? Hmm. Okay, he was more of a transcendentalist than a reactionary, advocated civil disobedience instead of violence, and early Gandhi. So he's not a player character, but more of a quest giver, the master sergeant ordering his troops out and doing missions. Things like freeing slaves from plantations without hurting anyone. Good luck. Protecting the environment by sabotaging logging camps, coal mines, and the like. And, as a tax resistor, doing a Robin Hood and robbing the rich and giving to the poor. All while not hurting anyone intentionally. That's the trick. It's set in the America of the 1820s, so lots of history and savagery to spit around. It's an alternate world, of course, but one that should be recognisable to the players. Well, you get it past us, Katamono. That's been easily established. I'd use Fate Core and really emphasise the successor-cost aspect. The cost, is, the cost is, of course, injuring others. Maybe even killing them. That creates campaign aspects of Ruthless Thoreauvarian thugs. Ooh. And plunderers of property that can turn public opinion against them. So they will be forced to safely perform their missions, but at the same time improving their reputation with more positive aspects. Hmm, interesting. Less of a mockery of of, uh, of my one, that's for sure. So he's... It's Thoreau's angels, isn't it? Yeah. Or possibly it's 1820s... American shadow run with Mr. Thoreau. Nice. In fact, you know, if you if you if you are really clever and really want to piss off your shadow run players, you could set the um oh, whatever the great unbuckling, whatever they called it, the awakening, the awakening, right? The great unbuckling. Uh, I'm thinking of a different game world, and I got the word wrong. Apparently, I think it was the great unbending or the great bending, one or the other. We'll presumably discuss it at some other point. Okay. But you have magic into the world 200 years earlier in abundance. Huh. And you have Throw being one of a being slightly more mystically empowered, but very temporarily focused. And so he's doing these things. And while the, um, the powers that be, the, you know, the, the robber barons and the, 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 the nascent corporations and so forth are, Still starting relatively early, but the problems are much more confrontable. And there's folks who, due to this, the, the, the change of um, spiritual climate, can see what's coming, are actually striking out and doing that. And yeah, very much, yeah, like a, like a Shadowrun kind of, a Shadowrun mm. kind of vibe, possibly down to the use of magic and technology, but just not minigun technology. <laughs> cool. That'd be really weird. It would be, but kind of fun. Mm. 
I mean, would you go with the whole hog of the unexplained genetic expression and yeah, yeah, orcs and trolls, etc.? It would probably put a spin on the abolitionist side of things. Oh, yeah. You'd be treading dangerously cl- close to bright territory again. I still haven't seen that. There's a brilliant Lindsay Ellis YouTube, which is much less long, only like 45 minutes rather than the entire length of Bright, pointing out one of the fundamental problems is that they went, 2,000 years ago, this thing happened, and here is this alternate history which is exactly the same except it's got orcs and do-rags. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. So what you'd want to do is approach that with a bit more sensitivity and um, logic and try and work your way forward from whatever happened when the awakening occurs to what you're what you're dealing with now just just dropping a whole thing in the middle and going like ignore all of the other parts of history it's cool we've got orcs to pick on now well everyone's staring going fuck then why are all these other things still here <clears throat> so we'll leave that as an exercise to the um wise and considerate audience members but yeah, that would that would be one way to spin it. I mean, just literally the, um, be a bit more like Wild Wild West, possibly. Yes, you could have super spies of the 1800s. So, mm. yeah, that could work. I like it. There would still be a, like an alternate history moment where rather than faffing around in a, in a cabin by a pond, clearly decided to do something. A little bit more proactive. So be part of the part of the narrative might be uncovering what that is. Mm. Yeah. What is his his goal? Mm. Yeah, depending on the approach you took. I mean, going yeah, going. No, I don't want to think about the Deadlands version of this. <laughs> that would be pretty cool, though. Okay, so Thoreau's Angels, Shadowrun, eighteen twenty. I could get behind that idea. Definitely different. Um, Shall we do the other one? Which is actually a fairly short one. From Burning, for whom the prompt Are You Henry David Thoreau brought to mind the parlor game Botticelli. I had to go and look up the parlor game Botticelli Mm -hmm. because I'd not heard of it. The basis of it is that Somebody decides on a famous person and answers yes or no questions as that person. It is the goal of everybody else to figure out who they are. The game's called Botticelli because the idea is that the person should be at least as famous as Botticelli so that people have got any chance of figuring out who the hell it is. Right. Burning goes on to say, I will confess that I then attempted to turn the concept of Botticelli into an RPG adventure. It didn't work. I got as far as a time travel game, so we're back to time travel again, where an important historical figure has been ripped from their place in the time stream, and you have to return them to prevent history being undone. Except you don't actually know which historical figure it is, and you need to figure that out. At that point, I realized it didn't even sound fun to me, so yeah. You know, he might have actually cracked what the drunk person was about. Maybe he'd been ejected from, you know, from a particularly rowdy botticelli game and was still trying to find out who the person was possibly in the in in a different neighborhood and several um parts per million over the limit hmm 
The one thing that makes me think of, which might make it workable, is that that would be a mechanic in a Sapphire and Steel role-playing game. Okay. Because they often dealt with entities thrust out of time in the wrong time in the wrong place who are often either traumatized unfathomably evil or otherwise resistant to questioning but they still had to get the context so that they could do the right thing and put them in the right place ah so yes it would end up being kind of 20 questions with the gm and this is me thinking aloud but to take it from a parlor game into an rpg I think you need a character, or multiple characters, and you need stuff to be going on. You don't have to overdo that as a component. Um, if you think of Time Chalice, where um, from Wheeltree Press, which they use children's games as resolution mechanics, so it could be the identifying the, the person might be part of the setup or part of a, a scene setting thing, or maybe even like the set up for the session okay it's a bit too involved of a mechanic to it would limit replayability to some degree i mean if if rolling dice involved donating a pint of blood it would probably cut down on people doing it too frequently fortunately it it, it, it doesn't and makes a satisfying noise and it, it you know it stimulates all sorts of pleasurable brain responses but ah uh, yes there's really hardcore vampire hunter games where if your character dies the player has to go and donate to the red cross yes i don't know why donating a pint of blood came to my, came to my mind i'm just realizing that i may have completely misinterpreted some of the rpgs i've played ah yes <laughs> awkward that's what you were doing, donating platelets. You were grinding levels, you bastard. It, look, you've got to get those dots in celerity. <laughs> How did we end up here? I don't know. I don't. Not know. conversationally, I mean as people. <laughs> I think we're basically re- recording this so people might untangle that mystery in future. Because, who knows? It is, it is a mystery for the ages, but perhaps... Future scholars can figure it out. Bouncing off the the time cellist um, suggestion, yeah, if you've got... I can see a game where you've got a situation that needs to be managed and corralled, and right at the core of it is the identity of this person who, for whatever reason, is being a bit cagey. Mm. So, yeah, I could see some sort of game where you've got the protagonists solving the edges of the problem, kind of keeping... You know, kicking the tendrils back in towards the, the summoning circle, so to speak. And every so often, you know, every every success they get gives them a certain number of questions. Hmm. And people will sit down and figure out what's the best questions to ask and so forth. And, and from my experience with a DQ, I know that detect aura questions, which were pretty much... Um, basically be able to ask mechanically true questions of the GM of a, of a subject that you successfully detected the aura on. And there was the talk to dead ritual, which was 20 questions, yes, no, with a dead person. And mm. some people enjoy taking those things to fine extremes of, of information parsing. So yeah, it could be interesting. Yeah, I think if I was running the game, I'd put sort of, yeah, you've got the 20 questions, but also have, you'd want it all to make sense. You'd want once they figure out who it is for the players to then be able to look at all the stuff, other stuff that's going on and say, 
oh, of course, this is what's going on. I'd be tempted to also give some significance to the number of questions and even the answer they get. If it was like a yes-no thing, possibly they are... Say if they get like three yeses in a row, something happens. Something, possibly something terrible happens. Like they're, they're putting pressure on reality in a particular way. Oh. So if they so I think, okay, we want, we want to phrase the question so that they answer the next one in the negative. And they're slightly off beam. So they say, aha, was it, were, yes, were you born in the... The second half of the eighteenth of the seventeenth century, and they go yes, rather than the expected no, and they're like, "Oh shit! A, we're wrong. B, we're fucked." <laughs> nice. Yeah, that would be an interesting, interesting mechanic. Yeah, it's a little bit more. You are playing a game with them. Yeah, a little bit more. A little, yes, a little bit of a long spoon kind of thing. It's like. Yay, we can get information out of... <laughs> yes, this is this is a bit like fixing a computer. Make sure you put all the things back in the right order and the smoke gets out, kind of thing. Yeah. And sometimes you do stuff fully expecting to get a nope result, and then suddenly you don't. Or somebody goes, ooh, 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 and asks the question, because it's the next obvious question. Everyone goes, wait a second, that was the fifth, that was like the tenth question. What did we ask for the fifth question? <laughs> and the entirely factual answer comes back, but it also spells, oh no, we're screwed. But we, that would be pretty intriguing. It would probably, possibly in, in, would light up some people's paranoia circuits, possibly a little too intensely. But I do know of some players, possibly myself included, who would get analysis paralysis. Yeah, it certainly strikes me as being the correct vibe for some of the Sapphire and Steel missions. And it means that you are doing something, you're moving the plot forward, you're accomplishing something, but it isn't just a, oh, we failed a roll, shit happens. It's like a, we have built very carefully this structure, we've assembled our four-tier house of cards, now we will put this um, sh- uh, this shot put on top of it and see how it goes. Oh, Oh, no. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Hmm. Is there anything else to share with the audience or discuss? Oh, check the docket. Yeah, everything else is for episode one hundred and two. So we could talk. We could we could tease Squid. Should we should we, should we do some Squid tea? No, uh, really. <laughs> Why do you make me say these things? How do you make me say these? It's things? not easy. No, it's actually it's quite easy. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much to. Burning in Kimono for ideas on Henry David Thoreau and indeed the identity of Henry David Thoreau. That's all we've got for this episode. We do have some suggestions for episode 102, the day the squid said hello, but we're going to save them for next episode to make it an extra special slithery episode. Is that wise, given the title of the next episode? The Beige Invasion. You want to make the Beige Invasion more slithery. Okay, cool. Yeah. Okay. I'm getting an under the mountain vibe already. Excellent. Wow. Oh, that is so obscure. Well, for 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 folks outside New Zealand, uh, folks inside New Zealand, a lot of people in the in the greater world have not been exposed to the level of Wilberforce fear that New Zealanders were in the 80s. 
Yeah, especially when you lived in the area it was shot. Yep, I bet that scared the piss out of a lot of kids in the 80s. A little bit, yeah. So we'll leave people to go and check the show notes for what that was about. Mm -hmm. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back with episode 104, The Beige Invasion. My heart is filled with bleak neutrality. If I don't make it, tell my wife, hello. (laughs) Excellent. Thanks for listening to this. Are you Henry David Thoreau? Well, are you? Want to hear more of our shenanigans? Then go to hoarde.net and click on the button that looks like a couch. The Big Red Couch is released under Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 Unported from creativecommons.org. All music on the show comes from the album Universal Fluff Theory by Krakatoa. Visit them at krakatoa.com or follow the link from our page. See you next time.